And I finally found the sweet spot of having the right balances of all the right things with all the abundance that comes from all those years of learning and a lot of giving. We talked a lot last time on our last interview about once you find your purpose, it really creates a momentum for all your activities and sort of fuels your forward momentum based on your goodwill and good intentions and willing to be generous with your time. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. What is up? This is the Female Entrepreneur Musician, and my name is Bree Noble. I am so happy that you're spending this time with me today. And as you can tell, I'm pretty excited because I've got an interview today that has been a little over two years in the making. I am bringing back one of my favorite guests, Lisa Lynn. I had her on here back from episode number 27, and now we're on like 130 something. So wow, it's been a while. But back when I talked to her on episode number 27, she was saying she was starting to write a book about the system that she'd created for doing concerts and promoting concerts and finding venues that weren't necessarily concert venues and opening those up to indie artists. And I was really excited about that. And then I found out very recently that she just put her book out. And I was so excited to introduce it to you guys because I knew from episode 27 that First of all, she has a lot of knowledge and experience to give you, but also she's such a giver. Like she doesn't hold anything back. She, as you will see in this interview, tells you everything you need to know to actually do this system that she's put together for creating concerts. Um, But I still want to recommend very highly that you grab her book because although you can hear all the strategies in this podcast, you won't have her templates, you won't have her emails, you won't have her system in an order that is easy to follow. And that is the super huge value of this book. So if you listen to this podcast and you say, wow, I really want to start following this formula that she's put together, then just go to the podcast page for this episode and grab her book. She's offering you a special discount being a listener to the female entrepreneur musician, as well as she's definitely going to sign your book for you. So make sure you go through our link or go through her own page, lisalynn.com, but make sure you use coupon code FEM. That's That's F as in female, E as in entrepreneur, M as in musician. F-E-M is your secret code. And now that you know how to get her book, I want to show you why you should get it. So here is a little bit of information about Lisa Lin. Lisa Lin is a multi-instrumentalist and performer who has gained worldwide recognition for her original music featuring the Celtic harp. She is widely acclaimed for composing memorable and heartwarming melodies on the Wyndham Hill Sony Music labels that have repeatedly placed in the top 10 and top 20 on the Billboard New Age charts. She also owns her own label and recording studio, and she just came out with her new book, How to Succeed with Self-Produced Concerts. Here's my interview, and this is an awesome one with Lisa Lynn. So that's a little bit about Lisa Lynn. So Lisa, um, first off, is there anything about you that's a little bit quirky or interesting or different that's not in your bio that you want to tell our listeners? <laughs> that's a good question. Gosh, I would say yes. Um, I think we all have our little quirky bits, particularly if we are artists. And I'd probably say my quirky bit is I I love too many things and I'm always trying to do a little too much. That's probably a pretty common 
situation. I think most people can identify with that. That's for sure. That's right. And so I tend to, um, I know music has always been the center and all the things that go along with that. But aside from that, now I have, uh, I'm living on a beautiful farm in Oregon. So the possibilities are endless. I'm doing mosaics and have a new kitty cat. And I opened a little side business of recycled goddess wear. And oh my gosh, I have more ideas than I have time for. And I feel so lucky. My husband describes that I just am dropping seeds and they sprout. And then I don't even take the time to reap the the goodness. I'm already on to the next seeds. And so I just have so many ideas and so much enthusiasm that I get a little bit over my head uh, with with all that. So now none of you think that she doesn't complete projects because she does. (laughs) And I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. Um, because yes, she does actually complete some amazing projects. That's true. I guess the fun stuff is what I start and don't complete. Right. (laughs) Right. All the hobby stuff. That's right. The hobby stuff. Yep. So this is actually a follow-up episode. I had you on episode number 27, and now we're on like episode number 130-something. I'm not sure yet what the number is for this episode, but it's kind of crazy. It's been over 100 episodes since I talked to you. That's incredible. But um, I want to make sure and get people up to speed that haven't heard your first episode on just a little bit of background on you and music, how you got into music, and how you your career kind of progressed up until now? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, um, like many, I started kid as a, as a kid playing guitar, and then I got myself into electric guitar as a teenager, ended up being a professional bass player, uh, not only in Southern California heavy metal bands where I grew up. but then- I just love that that's your background. I, mean, I can't even believe <laughs> I know, that now. It surprises people, yeah. And, uh, and then I made my living as a top 40 classic rock working basis for all of my 20s, well into my 30s, which was a little too long, but it was great uh, training ground for everything. Uh, And I always loved acoustic and folk music on the side. I played mandolin and Renaissance Fair type stuff. And and, uh, in my 20s, I discovered the harp and the Celtic harp was just so magical to me. And I was able to like all the chords I knew and I was really into Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin. I was able to kind of figure all that stuff out on the harp. So that created this original music that had a little something special to it that a lot of people could really grab onto. So I ended up street performing with the harp and selling so many records and cassettes at the time. And, and I ended up touring all over the country, street performing and eventually Canada and all different places and kind of leveled up, leveled up, figured out how to play in malls and be selling music in malls and art fairs from there on and just built up a business. Eventually did get signed with Wyndham Hill, but only when I didn't need to anymore because my own records were selling and I could barely keep up with the demand. So. I ended up signing with a label and learning sort of that part of it too and keeping them both going. All the balls were in the air. And uh, fast forward all the years of everything learning, started my own publishing and music company and recording studio and just was finding my way as the record industry was kind of collapsing. I caught the tail end of that big ship as it was going down. So I had to sort of reinvent how I was going to do things. So fortunately, I had all that background as street performing and creating scenes and being able to really connect with people. And I was able to sort of parlay into it into a new ship. And that has just uh, been going strong ever since. And we touched on um last time, but I ended up getting involved with one of the Columbine families and realizing the power of music and hospitals and healing. So that became a big uh, source of passion for me. And then from then on, I could just do no wrong. I started writing letters to hospitals, ended up starting an incredible program at a major cancer hospital that's now been going since 2001 and still going strong, branched out to providing music in other hospitals. So I became sort of a medem of intensive care music. (laughs) an agent for inside hospitals music, you know, and that there was just such a need for it that it just really, really took off. So now I have done my dream of buying my dream home in Oregon. My husband is a musician and my and a partner uh, in our performances as well now. And so now I'm able to live the life that I always dreamed of. So I have this beautiful home and this beautiful place. And yet I go on the road and I just do these one, two or three week tours off and on through the year. And it's just wonderful there. And that's what this book is really centered on is everything I have learned. So I've now found the perfect balance. 
I still do house hospital work here in Oregon. I bring my 20 harps around to cancer patients in schools and teach them how to play. And then I have the uh, concert tours, which we completely do ourselves, anywhere from fine theaters to community centers, all the places we've uncovered that are excellent uh, places to do concerts. And I finally found the sweet spot of having the right balances of all the right things with all the abundance that comes from all those years of learning and a lot of giving. We talked a lot last time on our last interview about once you find your purpose, it really creates a momentum for all your activities and sort of fuels your forward momentum based on your goodwill and good intentions and willing to be generous with your time. So all that since we've last talked has come together in this book. In fact, I've been working on the book for three years because I've been too busy uh, doing what's in it to actually get it finished. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember we talked about you were going yeah, to start uh-huh. be starting this book, and yeah, yep. and it's now it's finally here. done. I found a great cartoonist. She's so funny. I think Spinal Tap meets Charlie Brown Gang, oh and goodness. with folk music and it, and pop music and all the different kinds of music that uh, it, you would be doing independently um, comes together in everything I've learned. And the response has been incredible so far that it's really useful. And it's not only for artists, it's for presenters because there's a lot of untapped venues that are concert venues and they don't even know it yet, but it's up to you to find Mm. it and tell them. So that's sort of the basis of, of this book. Oh my gosh. I cannot wait to get into what's in this book. First of all, like, let us know the title of the book. And we're obviously going to have some, uh, a link, a special link for you guys with a little bit of a discount and stuff on our page um, for this podcast. But um, let them know, like, what's the book called and why did you decide to write it? I'm actually really curious why, I know you're just a very giving person, but why, after you figured all this out, why did you decide that, yeah, I want to give this information away for, you know, such a small price of a book? Sure. Well, the book is called How to Succeed with Self-Produced Concerts, a guide for performers and presenters to navigating a successful event. And the reason I wrote it is because I just noticed that there's so many excellent musicians with something to give and so few venues of which to provide, you know, to provide these concerts. And so therefore, a lot of great music goes unheard because there's just a clog you know there's a bottleneck in the in the clubs and the ones that are doing acoustic stuff or whatever kind of specialty shows there's just a lot of great musicians and less venues so when we do our tours we don't let the fact that it's not already a music venue stop us all we need is a place that seats between one and 200 people even smaller 50 to 200 people and we just need four walls and some seats and somebody in the office willing and excited about offering events to their community. So we learned so many beautiful churches sit unused for six days a week. They're the perfect size, the perfect venues. So we start start cold with an introductory email to the administrator who is the best person to write or the music director if it's a big church. And we just really have it down that they never thought of putting on a concert like this before we go through all the steps of assuring them. So essentially the purpose of this book is to open up more venues and to show artists how to to take the responsibility in their own hands to make it happen instead of sitting back and lamenting that there aren't enough places to play or they never get accepted. Uh, Instead, you can create the entire situation and work with the presenters. You can help train the presenters, and half of this book is for presenters. So I think it's important for presenters and artists to know what each other is doing and can do and work together. It's a win-win. The presenter now, whether they choose to have a concert once a month or once a year, however they have the experience, they're successful. And then the artist, with their success, has that gig to do every single year if they want it as part of the tour. So from having done this, we can go any direction in the United States. We have venues already set up that we trained how to do a concert, and we can design our tours just how we want them because we're always welcome back because it was a success. It was a win-win. Everybody made money. And you left with a, um, inspiring them that they're contributing to the community by offering top quality music for their community. Oh, what I love about this is number one, it's kind of like house concerts on a grand scale, right? 
Yep. It's, it's a little bit bigger and it's convincing the people that their venue can be used as a concert, just like in a house. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And we, we live in a small community here up in the mountains. And actually my daughter went to a concert just the other day that I was really surprised. There was somebody that was like top five in American Idol and he came and he performed at this church. And I'm wondering if he might've used your system because <laughs> first of all, I'd never heard of this church. I didn't uh-huh. know them, but they like were really good at going out there and like inviting the people at our church. They came, they brought us flyers, they, you know, they got us excited about it. And I had never heard of this church before. So now I'm like, they're on my radar. Like, oh, maybe they'll have other concerts and I might want to go. Absolutely. It's really smart. So what I'm curious about, first of all, is, you know, from the, the promoter's side, like what do they need to see to get them excited about this? I'm assuming that if they've never had a concert, they're like stressed out about the marketing and getting the people there. And what do you give them to help them with that? Well, the book is actually in two parts, is how you approach established presenters and alternative presenters or established Mm. venues, alternative venues. Two sort of different things. But established venues also want to hear what your alternative newbie venue also wants to hear. And that is basically that... um, you believe that your first of all, I want to go back a little bit. When you are about to present yourself as an artist who wants to come to, you know, say your mother lives in Phoenix and you want to set up a show while you're going to visit your mother, they don't know who you are. You're Susie Q. So you're going to write to the potential presenter, whether it's a local community center or the senior center or the church, local church, and you're going to present the idea of have you ever presented a concert one they need to hear that you are an excellent fit for their community if it is an established venue you know that what their you know community is you can sort of assimilate by the what you see on their website and other things that they host but one you believe that you would be a good fit for the venue and the community as well um, that you know what you're doing you have a track record of filling this size of room that you have all you're willing to take on the lion's share of the responsibility because in the book I have all these emails going back like real emails questions back and forth between performers and presenters presenters might say well gosh you know that seems like a good idea but we have never done this before how does it work and you then assure them that you present a show now a show title is something that they can really grab onto you're going to Phoenix and your name is Susie Q and, they, and you strum guitar and songs, that's going to be a little harder sell. But if you titled your show an enchanted evening of love songs from around the world with Susie Q, that's something they can grasp onto and take back to their meeting and take back to their little council and say, this sounds like a really neat thing instead of some girl who strums songs. Oh, I so agree with that. That's something I always tell my students in the academy. It's like, you guys need to give them something that they can talk about and promote as a thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. We do storytelling shows called Legends of the Celtic Harp, uh, a winter gift for the Christmas show. Uh, When R.A. and Goyot is a duo, we call it Celtic Harps, Rare Instruments, and Wondrous Stories with Lisa Lynn and R.A. Frankfurter. So they have this title. Your name doesn't have to go first. Your name has to go second if you mm-hmm. are new to the area. Not only that, when you're filling out the calendar sections and on Beth's Press, you only get those first few words. You want to have them see your show title before an unknown name that they don't know. So going back to your original conversation, you have this show title. It's an excellent fit for the demographic of your community we know what we're doing. We're going to take on the lion's share of promotion. You know, you, you'll get a sense of, gosh, I'm so busy. I don't know how much I can help. We'll take on the lion's share of the promotion. If you would just accept some leaflets or posters and, or if someone, you know, can post them around town, they'll get free admission or CDs or whatever. So you sort of gauge as you go what they're capable of, because you certainly do not want to scare them off. Right. So I have samples of your initial email your follow-up email, you tread a little carefully as not to come in too strong, blow them away and scare them. You basically want to just coax them by assuring that it's a win-win situation, that you'll do basically everything. And this is the basic uh, needs that you have. And they're pretty nominal. And then if you have someone who's really charged, who has the time, well, there's a second set of awesome possibilities they can do. And then even a third set of like, oh my gosh, if they're over the moon, happy and have people and manpower and can do everything. So you sort of gauge at what level they can help you. So even if they can only put a poster on their bulletin board, 
it's important to figure that out first so you know what to do because it's a very methodic, specific thing that you can do to make every single concert a success. And we sell out more than on, more often than not or are close to full, 100, 200 seaters all the time. And I have a really high ratio of how to get a story in the paper, how to get a picture in the paper. Once you have that, you're sold out no matter what. It's, it's mm. going to fill up. And so I have um, been really fortunate in doing it enough times to know what even the newspaper person needs to hear. So the book is all set up chapter by chapter, what you're going to do in what order. And I even have like the task graphed in the what order you need to do things if you're doing a multiple show tour, all the way to the accounting, all the way to the negotiations. Generally, we find churches that are kind of on the liberal side. They tend to be more open to, you know, that kind of activity and promoting community events, uh, Unitarian churches, Unity churches, many other churches as well. And it's a 70-30 split of the door in the most part. Sometimes it's a little more, a little less. So they can make money, you know, they make money too. So it is win-win. So that's one of the first things you tell them too. It's an equally shared uh, endeavor. Wow. Wow. I mean, I love that you guys, you have this process. That's all. I mean, I think that's where artists get stuck. Mm -hmm. Like they can hear a million strategies, but if you don't put it in some kind of order, okay, I do this and I do this and I do yes. this, mm -hmm. you know, they're just like, Oh dear in the headlights. I, oh, I can't yeah. do this. And you can, yeah. You can be overwhelmed. Even if you have a weekend of four shows, which I'm sort of assuming that's what people might like to do. Stay within a hundred miles in every direction and try it out with the three show a weekend or a four show a weekend. Even that can be mind boggling. I have to see it on paper on a clipboard and I have mm. this perfect graph which allows me to go across in the right order of exactly needs to happen and that keeps me from going crazy. I also have my email, um, you know, way that I set up my folders. All this is shown in the book as well. And if I didn't, I would just go crazy. So now I have this sense of calm. I know exactly what needs to happen when. It's methodical. You don't have to guess. It always works because you are going at a very, um, you know, methodical, logical place and leaving no stone unturned from the top of the list, the major newspapers, all the way down to tourist websites, various communities, book communities, knitting communities, whatever kind of meshes in with your demographic. So I start at the top, the most beef juicy. I do all the promotion for all our tours and then work my way down as time permits or as need permits. If you already have great ticket sales and you're going to be full, you just stop. You don't have to keep going. So the charts that I use here all help me see that right away, how we're doing with ticket sales. And I can, Now, are you doing your own? Are you selling them through something online or how are you keeping track of that? Yeah, I usually um, choose to use brown paper tickets um, and I usually add it all up and then I assure the presenters we'll have all the printouts so we can see exactly what I took in and, you know, all the names at the door. It's really, really good. Once in a while, they have the manpower to do pre-ticket sales themselves. Uh, quite often, they just have give us a, a fee and, and we have nothing to do with the ticket sales, but we still help with promotion. Um, there's all kinds of variations um, that are listed, but for the new alternative venues, I will handle it with brown paper tickets and also, you know, people come to the door as well. So that's worked, out, that's worked out great. I don't, I know there's other tickets, things besides brown paper tickets, but that's always worked for me and I have it down. And once you have your show templates in there, it's really fast. You can set up tickets in five minutes for any show. That's cool to know. I've actually never used that service. Uh -huh. so. Yeah. Yeah. They take a little bit like a dollar something per ticket, but you could either add it on as a service fee or absorb it. Right. Mm -hmm. So following this process, how long do you think it would take for, you know, someone to like really get it and start using it and start getting some bookings? Oh, well, pretty much as soon as you can create an email and start sending it out, you know, you can get bookings pretty easily. Um, you just need one nice lady in the church office who thinks it's a good idea. She usually runs it by two or three other people, gets back to you, you gets back to you. Yes, it's a go. Um, what are we going to do? Uh, and you have every, everyone's tasks, what they're going to do already set up. And once you have a successful show, I mean, you usually would do this a few months in advance, of course, but right. once you've done it, you know how to do it and you can always do it. It's the same formula every single time and works almost all the time, no matter what the situation is. So it's just a matter of the first time you do it. You get a yes, say, you know, you're in San Francisco and you want to 
do something, you know, I keep them a couple hours apart and we do these mini weekend tours. We'll just go in one direction and do four shows that are all a few hours apart. Um, and once you've done it, it's the same all the time. You can do it all the time as often as you want. And I just am a firm believer. There's so much love for music. There's so many people that want to hear music. They're just lost. They don't know what to do and where to go. So if you have a show title that sounds wonderful and you have one or two helpers at the venue and you know exactly what to do yourself, people will come and you will build your following. And it's, it's a new world now. We don't have to wait for agents. They're all gone anyway. You can be everything and you can get it down to a formula that works every time. And it's just I feel so at ease going anywhere. Even if we don't know a soul, we could drop into the middle mm. of the state. We've never been, don't know a soul. I still know exactly what to do. Wow. And I'm assuming you're building your email list all this time. You're selling merch. Oh, yeah. The merch always matches the door. It doubles yep. what the door is if you do it right. And that's a whole giant chapter because I'm passionate on the church of merch. You know? <laughs> I never said that before. That's, that's good funny. One. I love it. <laughs> So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's wonderful. And the world wants it. People are hungry. They do want to go out. They do want to be assured that this is going to be okay. And this is good. And, and, you know, I just am such a firm believer that there's plenty of love and abundance towards music. And if you're a professional and you, you have something beautiful to offer with the right spirit of mind, you're going to be successful if you just do these tasks and the tasks, you know, once in a while I get a little, you know, it feels a little tedious, but that's because I'm used to it going so well. <laughs> right. It's pretty exciting for the first couple of years. You cast a wide net, you bring in the fish, and it's just, there's nothing more exciting than seeing all these people come in the door for your show and having them for your two hours and falling in love and starting your relationship with them, basically. Mm. It's know? so refreshing, the angle that you take that, like, I, I really believe that everybody wants to hear music and, you know, that there's so much value in it. And, you know, so many musicians approach it from the other side, like, oh, please listen to my music. And, you know, yeah. oh, it's the starving artist, mm-hmm. you know, mentality yeah. and all that. Yeah. If you have a feeling of desperation, it's going to emote through what you're yep. putting out. If you are living in abundance, no matter if it's monetary or just love or anything, that's going to emote from you as well. The nice Mrs. Smith in the church office is going to pick up on it. Everyone who you come in contact is going to pick up on it. Well, we're, I'm right now in the middle of promotion for a tour in Hawaii, and that's in February. And, and at first, they didn't know us. The presenters didn't know us, and they were a little, yeah, everyone wants to come to Hawaii. Okay, we'll give them a shot, whatever. But the minute I start engaging with them and they see the posters and the flyers and the professionalness of the press release, man, they change their tune quick. And suddenly, the excitement just comes, and the whole thing lifts off. So you just get in the habit of constantly inspiring anyone you come in contact with and your shows are going to be success if they care and they want to see you and they want want to see you successful and they want to do this you know again in the future so let me ask you do you think this works for any genre i mean because i can imagine you know my genre would definitely work in a church in a community center but what if you're heavy metal what if you're gothic what if you're you know some electronica something like that Yeah, well, I'm sure that most of what is in this book still applies. It's just a matter of finding the right kind of places. For example, a community center could still work. Any kind of theater could still work. Um, Any kind of place where those sort of events are they're ready to handle those sort of events. Even a warehouse, you know, any any sort of place would still have that. You just have to be more aware of the constrictions based on sound and loudness and parking and the kind of people. That sort of is a is another thing. But when it comes to clarifying your show and what it's about and the press releases and the posters, all that stuff still applies. The task, the filling out the calendar sections of the papers and the press releases are all the crucial nutrients for a successful show of getting some attention on what you're doing. And here's the thing that I particularly advise for people of all genres of music, even if you're a heavy metal band, when you are approaching the venue, you have to also be open to, and we talked about this last time, what are you going to give to the community as well? So say you're an alternative metalish or a goth band coming into town and you've set it, set it up that you're going to be playing at the so-and-so. 
write your press release, fine. But are you also going to go and visit the boys' detention home and, and tell them about the history of rock and show them some, bring some ukuleles? You know, you're going to make your entire visit, your entire tour or your concert so much more um, juicy and so much more uh, substan substantial if you also are going to offer yourself somehow, somewhere to the community in a musical sort of way that benefits mm. those who couldn't come to the concert. Suddenly, you have a much better press release. You have I was going to say, that's so newsworthy. Yeah, you have way more goodwill. You have a lot more chance of getting a story in the paper when you are making that philanthropic gestures to go hand in hand and you're just going to double your experience value and your enjoyment of the whole experience and your goodwill. So there's always something that you can offer no matter what kind of music you are that will benefit in a generous way to part of the community that wouldn't have to, you know, the food kitchen, the homeless shelter, there's, a, there's endless possibilities where you can offer something artistic and poetic to, to a group, a drum circle, uh, creative writing, uh, music writing, songwriting, mm. a, a slideshow of of all the great music of the world, or you know, there's just something that you can do which is going to beef up all aspects of your purpose, and it's going to help your shows, and it's going to create goodwill. Mm, you really do have a lot of ideas, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, and there's a whole bunch of them in the book too. There's a whole bunch of funny, silly uh, cartoons, but it really comes down to endless amounts of possibilities. All not only f like the, what we just talked about, but for venues, venue possibilities that you would have never thought of could mm -hmm. be. Available. So I'm curious if you're going into these places where you don't necessarily know anyone, have you ever had to include local acts to help with ticket sales? That is a um, a tender situation. There is a place and a time for that. But for our kind of show, we have a theatrical stories and music show. So to cut out any part of that two hours is a serious chunk out of how the stories thread together. For if you were just doing a music store show, also hopefully with stories in it, which is another thing I talk about in the book, you maybe have a little more wiggle room to accommodate an opening act. However, you know, money-wise, most artists on the road just really need to make all the money that is possible to make. Mm. Um, opening acts are usually local acts, and we've had them sort of thrust upon us that we didn't actually have a choice. That I Susie, can imagine that situation. Yeah, Susie Q. And we tried my my to get, brothers, you know, my brother-in-law has a band. Yeah. Exactly. Uh-huh. And it's just never works out with the promised 20 minutes or 30 minutes. It makes the show longer. You don't know how good they are. And generally there may be a, a level, you know, less experienced or something. And it just kind of creates a vibe that's, uh, you got to work to, to bring it, you know, to where you want it to be again. So our experience is try not to. When we when it is thrust upon us, we go along with it, but it's it's not the ideal situation for us. What I recommend to presenters in the book is that if you have your singing niece, don't make it be a part, don't force it to be an opening act for another show. Instead, create a musical night where four or five nieces of people can come and, and work out their tunes and play four songs, do more of like a variety show or open mic night. And that's a perfect way to create, you know, an audience from the supporters of each person as well as a fun night that people really do get to do all that. Absolutely. So I'm also wondering too, so obviously you've had a lot of experience before you started doing this. You have a lot of you know, you've been on a label, you've had tons of performing, you know, you have built your fan base and all that. Does that play into this? Do you have to have built a following already? Or can you just start doing this without, you know, could you just start tomorrow and say, okay, I have no following, but I'm going to start yeah. doing this. You system. can start tomorrow because a wow. lot of places we go, they have no idea who I am. And that's fine. Only if there's really like a folk music or a Celtic or a harp or a gypsy community, they know us. And, and almost always in an audience, there's a handful of people that have some old records of mine or for some whatever. But I really don't rely on that at all. I treat it as if I'm a complete stranger. And even I was a complete stranger, it wouldn't matter it would still be okay because we drop in all the time that places have never heard of any one of us and that's why it's crucial that you title your show mm. in a way that is going to be appealing and 
draw interest. Then they click on the link or they see it and then they get to read all about you and everything you've done. But that show title is crucial if you are a newcomer anywhere. So there's yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it would, it would provide social proof. Like, you know, you'd say, oh, I was on the Wyndham Hill label and, you know, they would see that on your website, but that wouldn't be the entry point. Exactly. And that's actually more for the presenters too. If you have some good awards and all that bio stuff is actually more handy for when you're approaching a presenter to say, I know what I'm doing. She, you know, this person has really done these things. And so I'm going to take them on. I'm going to say yes, and we're going to do a concert. So as far as um, people coming to the show, I'm not sure they really dig that deep into the bio stuff to determine. We just have a really compelling, bright, beautiful photo that shows us with all the instruments. That's kind of our thing. Thing, have a lot of medieval and rare instruments so that and we look kind of rock and roll you know so that alone is enough to be like there. rock and roll and harp I'm confused <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not sure I mean we don't play rock and roll but it certainly is a compelling image to show all the instruments with us sitting there kind of cool you know <laughs> definitely definitely <laughs> yeah so we don't I don't think um, potential audiences really go that deep uh, into your bio they just you just need one strong show title with your names under it, and then a strong byline, a one sentence that um, will really say it, say it all to them. Mm. So that is crucial, especially if you're dropping in new. Show title, one-line description. You know, as musicians, we are often very, very limited on time, and we feel frustrated that we don't have enough time to work on booking and stuff. Do you ever, like, get an assistant to help you, or do you find that it's better to have an assistant call upon your behalf versus you calling them directly as the artist? What has been your experience with that? Well, assistant uh, would be wonderful in a perfect world. Um, however, the really good ones are busy and they move on to other things after you teach them everything. <laughs> so, um, so that has been a pipe dream that never really has happened. And I feel like there's so many little things that only I can do the fastest that I sometimes don't even let my bandmates help me because I know it would just be way faster for me to do it than show someone else how to do it. But regarding if you have someone who, who can be an assistant, do I hear you asking, do they start the initial conversations yes. or would they be on the back end? I would have them be on the back end because it's up to you to connect to the presenter to assure them that you, you know, you are easy to deal with and that you get them, you get what their situation is. I would start personally. And then when it's time to send back and forth the pictures and do the poster check and mailing and all this stuff, then I would have the helper come in. But that initial first email and preferably a, a phone conversation as well uh, would be you because people can sense genuineness from you and you're the passionate one. You're the one who can assure them that you know what you're doing. There's very no risk for them and that that personal touch would be crucial in the beginning and then hand off the daily tasky stuff to, to your helper. Yeah. I think a lot of times we want to bring an assistant in on the front end because we have fear of the phone and we, you know, we don't feel comfortable putting ourselves out there. How do we get past that as artists? I mean, I know we're, you know, we have confidence in our show and you know, when you get to that point, it's easier, but still it's always so weird. Just like, Hey, how you doing? I want to come perform for you. Right. Cold call on the phone, and, and I'm terrible at that, and it actually doesn't need to happen. All you need to do is get them on the line with an email first. So mm. you've already got their interest. You're not having to call cold and, um, you know, talk them into something. So you of- always start the conversation with email. Yes, exactly. Yes. And our, that's usually REA, my husband's department. He's fishing out. He's looking at the directions. He's doing the logistics. He's casting that uh, wide net, and there, he has a created a perfect opening email. That's also in the book. And, um, and it just lays it out very simply. I have a whole bunch of do's and don'ts for that part. Very simply, this is what we're offering. Um, this is a win-win situation at no cost to you. You have the opportunity to actually earn money for your facility. And uh, we, if you'd like to, you know, can we talk more about this? And they'll either, and I've got this all in categories in the book, they'll either not answer you at all, answer you, what do you mean? How much is this going to cost us? So-and-so is out of the office for a week. There's all these different possibility things and what to do for each one that comes along. So you basically just get them on the line. A few emails go back and forth, and then you might have a phone conversation. Mm -hmm. One phone conversation at least is recommended because the voice-on-voice thing is always great, at least once. But generally, email is better because then all the facts are in one place and you can refer back to them. 
even if you do have a phone conversation, you follow up with an email about everything you said in the conversation so everyone's got it somewhere, what was said. For sure. And I think the key is that most artists haven't done the work to have the system in place that's on the back end where you can say, you know, this is a win-win situation and, you know, we'll do all this for you. Don't worry about it. We provide this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And because we don't have that in place, we can't provide that confidence. And there we're, then we're like, oh my gosh, I have to ask them to do stuff and they're not right. going to want to, yeah. you know. So I think yeah. it's all the building up this system. Right. And I would recommend if, if you don't want to, you know, lie about your experience, you could just say it's a, it's a new modern trend that is benefiting everybody that, you know, acoustic groups are performing in small venues such as yourself with great success. You know, mm-hmm. typically the venue gets to not only make 30% of the ticket sales, which are anywhere from 15 to $25, but you also can offer a bake sale and, and, you know, do your own thing as well in order to maximize your earnings. So, I mean, we try not to throw out numbers first, but in most situations, maybe, you know, uh, two or $3,000 is brought in. And so they've made like $700, $800 for their time. And we can, of course, project that, but that would be pretty much standard for a decent sized venue, maybe 200. Um, so they really do have an opportunity to make music at no risk and no loss. That's important. There's no risk to them. They don't lose anything. They don't, you know, they only have the opportunity to earn money for their purposes. You know, and this wasn't even in my questions, but it just occurred to me, like, do you, do you suggest that maybe they can attach it to some kind of cause? Like say, for example, you know, their church wants to earn money for the Boy Scouts to go to scout camp or whatever it is, you know, does, is that a helpful idea? Exactly. It's a very helpful idea. In fact, we sniff and look for anything like that, that we can add to the energy of it, to the press release, um, to the poster, to any possibility that can shed light on whatever it is their goals are, is definitely something to be looking for actively. Mm, very, very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so how many times is it appropriate to contact a venue? Like, are, you know, if you email them and you don't hear anything back, do you email like, them again? Do you try to find a different contact? How do you go? Yeah, three, three times is the lucky number that we do. Uh-huh. You email them once, um, let uh, one or two weeks go by. If you don't hear anything back, you'll try again, just making sure that the email went through or if there's someone else that might be more appropriate. Nine times out of 10, they'll write back and say, oh, you're right, I've been wanting to. Um, And then uh, if you still don't get a response, or quite often they'll start the conversation with you and then disappear. You know, they might, you might catch them and you have this really excited possibility and then suddenly your emails aren't being returned, your follow-up emails. It just means they're busy like everybody. Um, It's good to, then we'll send a postcard with Mm. a picture of us. Um, with our instruments, with a quick note, looking forward to continuing our conversations. Then they have something sitting on their desk that's going to haunt them, that they have, <laughs> you know, called you back and it's just another little you know, rush. And then if you try a third time and there's still nothing, then we move on. Mm. Yeah, so three times. And do you, do you provide contracts in this whole situation or is it all just kind of like verbal... No, we do. We do. Uh, we don't call them contracts, especially for new people, because that's a little scary. We just call them one-page agreements, so we all have our facts in one place, and that we all understand that you know the room will be available to us from this as much time. That the split is seventy thirty or eighty twenty. Um, that that artists keep a hundred percent of their merch, and the venue keeps a hundred percent of their anything else they decide to sell. So they could sell like refreshments or something during and they could make money. Yeah, that's encouraged. And if they're able to, even wine is always a great thing for every show. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, so we encourage them and give them ideas too that this is an opportunity for a bake sale or refreshments. So smart. There's so many smart like little details in here that make this whole system, which Mm -hmm. I love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so like on the subject of contracts, I know you said it's not a contract, but do you require them to have some kind of guarantee? Like what makes, like if you're going to travel to somewhere, how do you know they're not going to back out at the last minute? Um, well, it just, it never has happened. 
um, you know, there's been varying degrees of support and, you know, craziness between the people or the person who's helping you, but nobody has ever backed out. And you're also in a, in a vulnerable position as well, because you're promising to be there, but mm -hmm. it's just, it's never happened that something went wrong, except for one time in the middle of Texas, we broke down and we couldn't make it. To oh, no. And that was a bummer. But that's pretty rare in all the years. Occasionally, there might be something weird with the building, the heater broke or the, but it seems to always work out that the show doesn't have to be canceled. You know, even in the rare event where there's just not that many tickets sold, um, we still would never just cancel it, even if it's 10 people or 20 people. Instead, we just use the opportunity to say, finally, I can get a good angle for my video cameras and we can get mm. a really strong, you know, we'll bring some lighting and we'll use this as an opportunity to create content. You know, yeah, and plus the, and those 10 or 20 people are going to become super fans. <laughs> exactly, you right. You just interact you with them. You have to edit out that little smattering of applause, but right. <laughs> it is an opportunity to get photos or whatever to, you know, recording, live recording. So do you have like, does each individual concert have kind of a budget and is there like a promotion budget for each one, you know, for the posters and the flyers that you mentioned? Yeah. So far, all that I've ever needed to do was print and mail the posters. And it's usually 10 to 30 posters to every venue, some leaflets. I usually spend $20 on every show to mm. print and mail posters. Your printer is your friend. You got to find some nice little indie business that's going to work with you and help you or even mail for you if you're in a pinch. You know, uh, that's always important to find a local befriend a local printer for that. And um, that's a bit all I do. Now, if, uh, you know, when you fill out the newspaper calendar sections, a lot of them funnel you into one program and the program lets you list calendar for free. But for $15 more, you can, da, 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 you know, have a little highlighted on your calendar event or a little colored square or something, you know, and I have tampered around a little bit with that, but I don't think that it makes any difference. If people are looking to see what's going on Friday, they're going to look at everything. They're going to look at all of it. Yep. A yellow color square or not. So um, I haven't had any, you know, reason to pursue that. Sometimes if we, you know, once in a while, I mean, I just watch it. You gain the skill to watch the energy around it, see if there's, if there's pre-sale tickets, how they're going, what it's what the presenters are saying. And if, and if I feel a little bit nervous about it, then I will look and see how much it costs to buy an ad somewhere and maybe spend a hundred bucks or something. If I really need this show to right. work out, you know, uh, I will go ahead and, and risk a little bit more, but never more than that. Now, are you promoting in just like newspapers or do you find like you know, online forums or, you know, chambers of commerce or, you know, kind of non-traditional? We do all of it. And I just do it in order of importance. And um, that's actually part of this task graft, the order of importance of what you need to do. The major newspapers, and it's not just, not only do you first fill out the calendar section, then you they all have their listing of their writers and what they're in charge of. So not only do I write to the entertainment writer, might be human interest story. Um, I make suggestions in the book about, you know, if your band is all a bunch of fish and gosh, go to the wildlife, you know, writer and, you know, whatever skills your band members also have, you're a decorator, you're a teacher, all these things have crossover possibilities with the writers, uh, staff writers in the newspaper. So you don't approach only entertainment. In fact, that's usually, you know, pretty, they're pretty inundated depending on the size of the city. So the, the main newspapers first, obviously you want to try to get a picture or a best bet so I fill out the calendar sections. I write a personal note to the writers that just says, you know, this is who I am. This is what we're doing. Anything little extra, if it's benefiting us something, this is a unique, a unique show your readers might be. There's just certain interested. There's certain um, ways of saying things mm -hmm. that really pique their interest and make them. Then you write them back. They say, yeah, send a high res photo. Yes, you are in. Once yes. they ask that, you know, you're going to get at least a mention or a best bet or something. And quite often a whole interview or even a whole page or a whole story. It's just really, um, amazing how, what high level of, what percentage of responses I get from this simple little email. And then below your signature, you know, they see it, it's one little tiny paragraph, six, seven sentences, signature, they'll actually read it. 
And then down below, you put the text of your press release, but I don't attach images because they could get stopped. I wait until they ask for an image. Then I know who's going to use what, what we've got. If they've asked for an image, then I know. I'd like to know. <laughs> and yes. We're going to actually be in the paper. So um, a lot of people send too much, make it too cluttery. Just a simple note, your sign off, you know, one YouTube link, and then the actual press release of three or four par- paragraphs way below. So, yeah, so true. You don't want to send yeah. too much at once. So then the newspaper, after the newspapers comes the TV stations. People don't realize that TV stations, the local news, they have their own calendar sections. Not only that, you write to them and you say, we're coming into town on Tuesday to do our show on Wednesday. Wednesday morning, we'd be willing to bring and demonstrate our music live on air. Mm. You know, that's not hard to do, especially college television stations. You know, they're always looking for stuff and it's a really fairly easy thing to get into. So you end up, who knows, it could be six o'clock in the morning, God awful, whatever. You could have an amateur interviewer. Doesn't matter. You're going to get high quality footage and that's really valuable too. So there's all kinds of reasons why to approach TV stations. Um, From then on, radio, public radio, who's got the shows, who will play your music or at least announce your show. There's all different levels that you can engage with them based on their resources. And then it goes to the events calendars, super important, um, tourist websites, um, the, uh, what you just mentioned, the uh, The Chamber of Commerce. Chamber of Commerce, yes. It goes all the way down from there. And so what I tend to do is say we have a 10 show tour. I take that top those top four things and do them for every show. And then I start back at the beginning and do the next four lower things do from every show. And then all the way down to the end, I'm looking for harp teachers in the area to tell their students, you know, if I still have that much time and, and I still need seats filled, I go all the way to that. So you could end up with poetry clubs as the end of, if you're a songwriter, you know, uh, teachers, English teachers who are te- songwriting teachers or music teachers. You know, this is a fun show. I think your students might enjoy. Would you mind putting this up at your, you know, music store or whatever? Everybody has their own units of email lists that they can reach out to. So I just keep going down until it's full enough that I can forget it and move on. And all this happens four to six weeks before the date. So do you give an incentive for them to buy their tickets in advance? Because obviously you want to know how full it is. Yeah. Well, it used to be. I used to have all these prices. I used to go through all this. If you buy them in advance, they're cheaper and all that stuff. But I don't know. It, it doesn't seem to matter. A couple of dollars here, a couple of dollars there. People want to go to the show. They're going to go. And it makes my life much easier just to say 20 bucks. You get in the show. If you buy it in advance, what you're buying is the confirmed seat. Your guaranteed seed is what you're paying for. <laughs> yeah, know, I was just wondering what was their incentive. Yeah, to it ends up being about half and half tickets and walk-ups. So if I sold 50 tickets online, I'm safe in guessing that it's probably going to be 100 people. Um, if it's a tiny place, it could be all sold out online even before anything happens. So, um, so yeah, after doing it so many times, you kind of know your numbers. Like you mm-hmm. said, you know, 50%. If I get 50% full in advance, we're going to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. That's really useful to know. Yeah. And we just recently did a show in our new hometown near uh, of Corvallis and this, the place seated like 220 people. And I ended up selling like, you know, 190 online. So I only knew I could only let 30 people in that were unticketed. Mm. So after the first 30 unticketed people came, we had to stop and make them wait. So we had a line of unticketed people waiting for the ticketed people to come in. Mm. And it ended up, you know, just being amazing. And it turned out a picture came in the paper that day. And, you know, that caused all the extra people to come at the end. So we ended up, people could stand in the back for 10 bucks. <laughs> That's smart. Yeah. And then you go take a picture of all those people standing exactly. in line. Oh, yeah. There's like, your face. You don't want this to happen to you. Buy your tickets in advance. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And not to mention your Facebook posts, which <laughs> I always post right before the show, what the venue is, not only to show people what we're doing and if there's any tickets left over for last minute people. I usually do it at sound check, so there's a couple hours. But for me, I print out all my Facebook at the end of the year so I can remember every gig and every venue that we ever played when we decide if we're going back and such. So Wow. Wow. Oh, so many smart ideas. In yeah, here. and it sounds overwhelming. 
all of this sounds overwhelming, like people, oh my God, I wish I had that much time or energy. But the thing is you create your templates for your posters, for your leaflets, for all your emails are templates. So by the time you've gone through it, it's all just click, 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 done. It's already been thought out. It's all, you've already been through this and it's all done templates. And that is why you need to buy the book, let me yes, just say. Because exactly. we just talked about a lot book. of great strategies, but if you don't have the templates and you don't have what to do and what order and the graphs that she was talking about, then, I mean, why should you waste your time trying to put all this together when she's done it for you? And yes, you exactly. And of course, you'll tweak it to be your own. Heavy. You know, I know it feels overwhelming, but it's not. Once you get your systems down, and these are all excellent templates and excellent suggestions, you'll do it your own way based on this, but it's not near as much work. And it's joyful work because, man, it's like throwing a, a line out and getting a fish over and over, and it's just exciting to see how many people will respond, the newspapers that write back to you, the people coming through the door. You just want to cry and hug every single person. You don't even know these people, but they came. You know, you just want to give them your best. You want to just uplift them and inspire them, make them happy. You gave them something and they took a little chance, come and spend 15 bucks, 20 bucks just to see because they liked the title of your show and then you deliver and you have this new relationship. And it's just, it's so exciting and so good that once you get past this initial hump of fumbling around to get your systems in place, you're gold. You've just created the life that you want, you know? Man, I mean... I just want to say we are going to have a special link on the podcast page for this um, this episode and on our website, femmusician.com. So you guys are going to want to go buy this book. We will have a little special discount for you guys um, that listen to the podcast. So make sure to go buy it on our page. Yeah. And you're, you're going to, I know that after listening to this interview, you're just want to go, going to want to go buy it. And you can do it two ways. There's a pretty fat, you know, paper book here that's 226 pages, but you can also get the PDF download. It's, it's, uh, you know, half the cost and it, it'll come to your, you can read it on your Kindle or whatever, but the book is pretty cool. The, the artwork is really fun. I just love this woman who, she, I, I doodled everything I wanted for her and then she turned it into these magnificent characters. There's like mm. the artist, there's Debbie Do-Right and Lazy Lewis and Diva Diane and Desperate Dan. And then it shows <laughs> all these typical presenters too that you're going to encounter, you know, the, the, all the different personalities, they all kind of fit into one sort of category of these different presenters that you'll meet on your way and how to deal with each one and what to do when things go wrong and how to inspire your presenter. And just, it's just, um, the people who read it before is like, Oh my God, this is so golden. Why did you give away all these secrets? And my answer is just that I've never had anything but abundance from, from being generous and giving away stuff, more venues, more places for us to play, you know, and more music. How can that be bad in, in the big scope of things? That's so true. I mean, the more that people follow this plan and they open up new venues in other places by, you know, using this system, then, you know, they're only going to play there once a year. So they're going to want more concerts. Exactly. You really want to inspire a presenter to start a whole series. So they have monthly concerts or full moon concerts or, you know, four times a year concerts so that it just, it's a win-win for everybody. So you can basically decide where you want to tour. You say, I want to go visit my sister in Omaha. Well, you just look at the road and you look at the towns and every town has a community center, a library, a unity church, or some kind, any kind of church. Every single town has one. So you can create your whole tour in any direction that you want to go. Mm. You, know? you can keep it small, 30 people, 50 people you know, community room at the such hospital, whatever. There's just so many places, four walls and chairs. That's all you need. Man. Well, you just brought it today. Thank you so much. This <laughs> yeah, has been so you. informative. It's fun to talk to you. I really, really enjoy it. Me too. I've, I've, we need to make sure it's not longer than two years again this next time. Yeah, for sure. that's right. Mm-hmm. So let people know how they can find you as an artist on social media and your website. Sure. My website is my uh, artist name, lisalynne.com, L-I-S-A-L-Y-N-N-E.com. And if you go to my uh, products and merchandise, it has CDs and it has books. So you can get, um, you can see the table of the contents of the book. You can, of course, order the book there. Or if you go through your site, it's better because you'll get a discount if they go through you. Um, and you can see some samples and some get some ideas there. So 
and I and I also have a, a whole collection of videos of all my adventures. I do video as a side hobby, so you can kind of see our road tours in action, what the places look like, what it's like to be traveling and touring through, and and you really get a, a, a taste of everything that I'm talking about in the book. It also goes into posters and flyers and the most effective way to do. So there's no stone unturned. You can do everything that's in this book. Wow. And then if they connect with you on social media, how do they do that so they can kind of see oh, where you're right. playing? Facebook. Um, the best way for Facebook is to do my personal. Lisa Lynn Franco, L-I-S-A-L-Y-N-N-E. Franco is my last name. And I give more love to my personal page than my artist page. Probably like many people do. You forget. I always forget the artist page. <laughs> but um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, either way is okay. You'll, you'll get the information. Links Perfect. from my website to all of it as well. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Lisa. This has been awesome. And I just really appreciate you being so open. And it's my pleasure, Bria. I really admire what you do. You're doing such a service. You're doing it big time. Thank you. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.